and welcome to PCB Chat, where we talk with experts across the printed circuit design, manufacturing, and electronic supply chain fields. I'm Mike Buto, Editor-in-Chief of PCDNF and Circuits Assembly. It's hard to believe now, but veterans of the printed circuit board industry will remember when the U.S. was neck and neck with Japan as the largest PCB manufacturing market. It peaked in 2000-2001, with sales north of $10 billion each year and close to a 30% share of the overall market. How things change. Today, U.S. domestic PCB manufacturing output is around $3 billion, and its share of the global market is in the mid-single digits. China has surged to the head of the pack, as more than half the bare boards built each year are built on the mainland. Moreover, nations like Vietnam that didn't even register just a decade ago are now larger than the U.S. market. Last July, in response to two decades of a falling tide, a group of printed circuit board fabricators and suppliers established the Printed Circuit Board Association of America, or PCBAA. This new consortium of U.S.-based companies supports initiatives to advance U.S. domestic production of PCBs and base materials. The organization seeks market fairness and a level playing field on which U.S. PCB manufacturers can compete against competitors subsidized by foreign governments. Here with me today is Travis Kelly, President and Chief Executive of Isola, the materials developer, and Chairman of the PCBAA. Travis, welcome to PCB Chat. Thank you, Mike. Uh, very happy to be here, and thank you for taking the time to help us spread the message around the PCBAA and both our mission and vision over the next several years. On its website, PCBAA asserts three main mission objectives. Let's talk about them and how you settled on those three as focal points. Great, Mike. So ultimately, uh, just taking a, a quick step back, the PCBAA was formed by five prominent companies in the PCB industry who identified a need to educate, advocate, and legislate um, to support the competitiveness of the domestic PCB industry. So that's how we really got to the three pillars of what we stand for in the mission we're trying to accomplish is first and foremost, making people conversant, people being not only the general public, but also the government relative to microelectronics as it relates to the PCB industry. So how do we educate and make people conversant on the topic? How do we also advocate for the domestic industry? Looking at not only the semiconductors, which is a obviously a big topic and has been for several months, but I think as we all know, chips don't float. Chips have to be embedded in something. And that's why printed circuit boards are so important. So really advocating for printed circuit boards as part of the overall microelectronic ecosystem. And then ultimately, how do we legislate? How do we advocate for legislation to get more recognition around the importance of PCB and PCBAs? I've spent quite a few years in Washington as part of the IPC Capitol Hill days, where we lobbied Congress to support the PCB industry. And that effort began in the mid-1990s, well before the 2001 crash. But even as the domestic market migrated offshore, Congress's response was effectively none at all. Fast forward to today, and the past couple administrations seem much more intent on shoring up the domestic market. Much of the attention, however, is going towards semiconductors, as you noted. I don't intend to diminish those obviously critical components, but how do you propose to ensure that PCBs are in the conversation? 
Well, that's a great point, Mike. You know, ultimately, they, they have to be. You know, there's a systemic issue. And I think one thing around COVID-19, which ultimately was the catalyst for some of the global supply chain issues that we're facing as a nation, it's getting more recognition in terms of getting a resilient supply chain. Semiconductors are extremely important, but so are PCBs. And we have to look at the overall ecosystem and not just one or two specific examples. So what we're trying to do now is bring, once again, the education around printed circuit boards as it relates to microelectronics. You know, you, you, you brought up a, a strong point. The U.S. once produced over 26% of the world PCBs. That number is down to 4%. So our goal right now is sustained government investment in the domestic PCB industry. And I think now with a lot of the tailwinds we're having, because there is a lot of focus on the global supply chain as it relates not only to semiconductors, but microelectronics and consumables and a lot of other areas and a lot of other industries that are being impacted. So I think it's helping us spread our message to make people conversant relative to the importance of the ecosystem as it relates to microelectronics. I'm taking a brief break to mention today's sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Printed Circuit University. Printed Circuit University offers flexible, affordable electronics education on demand. Visit printedcircuituniversity.com to see more than 100 hours of online classes from some of the top professionals in their fields. Four or five years ago, the Department of Commerce undertook a study to assess the state of the domestic PCB industry. And my understanding is one reason they were doing so was to help present data to the um, to the Defense Department, which tends to be sort of the big brother, I think, of a lot of the agencies, uh, to try to convince them to uh, pay more attention to you know interconnects in general, and I'm not sure what really came out of that study, except for you know an awful lot of data and paper. But you know, is the is the sense you get so far that the interest by Washington is is focused mostly on the on the defense suppliers, or do you think that this effort will lead to a more widespread, robust PCB market if, if done correctly? Yeah, so I think if done correctly, what, what we're seeing right now is we've been at the table, the PCBAA, for the full legislative cycle this year to be sure that our industry's concerns are being communicated and addressed. And what we have seen is we've advocated successfully for language in the Department of Defense legislation, which is the National Defense Authorization Act, requiring more domestic sources of materials and manufacturing. So that addresses your first point is, is it really focused on defense? Obviously, the answer in terms of the NDAA is absolutely. But as you start peeling back the onion and people start focusing on what we consider critical applications, I think it's a broader reach. You know, if you think about medical infrastructure, 5G, 4G, obviously critical applications as it relates to aerospace uh, and, and defense uh, uh, opportunities, it's going to be a broader scope. And I think that's something that we all need to focus on, because once again, just living through the last nine months of the global supply chain issue, it's bigger than just defense products that are impacted it's ultimately a lot of different products. Even if you go back to uh, when COVID first happened and there was a, a significant need 
in the U.S. for ventilators. And if you recall, automotive OEMs had to start producing ventilators as opposed to vehicles. And a lot of us took part in terms of printed circuit board manufacturing for those ventilators, obviously the laminate and the materials that go into printed circuit boards. So it's a broader reach than just purely defense. Right. You know, just that was like a wartime response. It was uh, really remarkable. Um, So the number of PCB factories in the U.S. has dropped from 780-ish in 2000 to fewer than 200 today. Moreover, the size of those factories, the amount of capacity is considerably less as well. By comparison, China has almost 1,500 factories. Has PCBAA set any goals as to what a healthy U.S. industry looks like size-wise? You know, I think it's hard. I think you have to bifurcate the discussion. A lot of people, you know, focus on brick and mortar and which should the size, how many companies is the right number of companies. I really think you have to peel the onion back and get more into specifics of what technology is needed to ensure that we have a resilient supply chain within the United States. So it's less about the number of brick and mortar companies and more around, are we robust enough as an ecosystem where we can produce the material, the technology that is needed to sustain to sustain the nation? And I think that's where the focus has to be. I mean, ultimately too, you get into a discussion relative to you know 26% going down to 4% or in your example, 800 going down to 200. That, that is significant, and that's a lot of manufacturing that has been lost in this country. But furthermore, what happens, too, is when you, when you pursue offshoring, especially to the extent we have as a country, you also offshore the knowledge and know-how. So what we're advocating for is how do we work with universities, with institutions to bring that know-how back? So it's not just offshoring manufacturing jobs that we've, you know, we've done since the early 2000s. It's also offshoring the know-how. And we see significant weakness there. And we need the government support to really focus on STEM, partner with universities, and bring back some of that technical know-how that we've lost over the last several decades. Do you think that we need a, a JFK moment uh, right now? And by that, I mean, you know, 1960, you know, John F. Kennedy uh, announced, you know, the the mission, you know, for the moon. You know, there was a simple goal, right? Well, not so simple of actually putting a human on the moon, but there was a bigger goal, which is that he needed to excite people about science and technology. Do we almost need something like that again? Uh, you know, almost a uh, an individual and a, and a mission statement to sort of focus our, our thinking and, and get people excited around what a, a career in, in electronics manufacturing could look like? Yeah, I, I think we do. I think ultimately right now, if you were to pull, you know, a lot of young professionals, either just uh, entering their last year of post-secondary education or coming out into the workforce, most of those professionals or, you know, uh, young students would not perceive the this industry right now as something that they would envision them going into. You know, you hear a lot about the, the, the larger software companies, uh, data companies. You, you, don't, you don't really hear a lot of, I'll say, passion uh, around the electronics manufacturing sector. And I think we do need to really understand how do we get in front of a lot of these talented students and talented young professionals to create that momentum. And I think the onus is not only on you know the government, but also once again the, the private industry, the the companies to really build up on that momentum. Because what we do 
as an industry, as a microelectronics industry, and primarily around PCBs, and, and obviously the material that goes into it, is exciting, right? We're constantly innovating. Um, it, it, there's more to it than just what people say is a green board. As you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of complexities, a lot of challenges, and it's actually a very rewarding industry. We have to do a good job communicating and educating the public on what it takes to actually be successful in this industry. And I think that will create the momentum that we need. Yeah, I mean, think about 20 years ago, uh, we used to think that five gigabits per second was sort of like the max that we could get on a copper line through a, you know, through FR4 and, you know, fast forward one generation and, we're, you know, we're 10 times that. I mean, it's, you know, you know, the, these things just sort of are only known to the folks in the trenches, right? Just how much development and uh, uh, how much um, uh, improvement there's been, how much progress over the last 20 years, um, you know, so that, you know, all these devices that we, we walk around with, you know, are, are unbelievably capable relative to just a generation ago. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's fascinating. And I think, you know, we have a lot of organizations within this industry that are promoting, promoting that, um, that, that concept, that paradigm. You know, we, we view IPC, USPAE as complementary organizations to what our goals are. And I think as, as long as we continue to push this message, to make people conversant, to make the government conversant on the fact that it's a much larger e- ecosystem than just semiconductors, I think we can all be very successful. And I think success, you know, how do we view success? Success is really having people understand the importance of the overall ecosystem of microelectronics and how just fixing once, you know, one problem, although it's significant with semiconductors, you still have other significant issues that are going to hamper the success of the U.S. if we don't focus on a broader set of microelectronics, including PCBs. In 2004, a group of primarily Chicago area PCB fabricators formed the U.S. Printed Circuit Association. That group, which was primarily formed to perform state and federal lobbying, garnered about 70 corporate members, but it survived only a couple of years. What's different this time? You know, I think ultimately, I can't speak too much to what happened uh, with that organization, but ultimately, there's a lot of heavy lifting that has to be done um, for the domestic microelectronics industry. And when we think about the recent successes that we've had in such a short period of time, you know, we have 10 plus members now, the PCBAA doesn't sound like a large group when you actually count them as uh, wholly owned facilities or companies. However, when you think about the number of employees that we all represent, it's significant. And I think with the quick wins we've had and significant wins we've had, even in such a short period of time since this organization came to fruition, we'll continue to have more momentum. We'll continue to broaden our membership base. And it's not it's not as simple as just, hey, let's get some language into a legislative bill that can help the overall industry. You know, we've talked about what has to happen in the educational system, what has to happen at the government level, what has to happen at the private level, even what ha- has to happen with the infrastructure of this overall industry uh, as it relates to PCBs. So this is a this is a heavy lift for, for many years to come. And I think as we continue to develop our organization and we continue to grow our membership base, there's always going to be activity. Activity can be defined as advocating for legislation. It can be defined as educating. It can, it can be defined as actually creating Creating different um, educational, I'll say, uh, work streams 
that help the overall industry. So I don't I don't see this as a short term organization. This is going to go well into the future because there's always there's always topics that have to be addressed. And it's not just addressing them from a from a high level, I'll say, standpoint. It's looking at the systemic issues and trying to correct those so we actually do have a resilient supply chain. And once again, as a as opposed to just focusing on one or two um, items. And I, I, you know, once again, semiconductors is the main topic. But until we start addressing the real root cause of some of these issues, it's never going to correct itself. Because once again, chips don't float and they have to be embedded on something. So people have to take a broader look and really understand the macros before you can start identifying root cause identification and solutions. You've enlisted some of the biggest names in the U.S. PCB industry as members. Isola, TTM Technologies, Summit Interconnect. Now, these are among the founding members. What is the cost relative to, say, membership in IPC? Yeah, and, and just not to, I mean, we, yeah, so not to leave anyone out. I mean, Calumet, um, you said Summit, Inselectro, uh, Isola. We obviously have DuPont, Rogers. So just a, a lot of really good names, Alpha McDermott, and the list goes on and on. So we're going to continue to grow that momentum. Ultimately, in terms of the, the structure of the membership, we do not want to exclude companies that want to take an advocated uh, advocate role in, in this in this organization. So what we've done is we've set up different tiers. So depending on the size of the company, if it is, is it an individual, is it a company, is it an educational institution, we have different tranches of membership levels. So if you're a large company and you want to potentially have a board seat, then you will be a gold level member and it will be based on a certain, you know, I'll say quantitative measurement. You'll be able to go in and, and sit on the board and have a voice at the table. If you want to f- fly the flag and show that you're a member of the PCBAA, but you want to do so at, at a lower level, we have those different uh, tiers set up. So I think ultimately we're trying to cover uh, the gambit as it relates to membership. And it's more just having momentum and, and, and good companies that want to be part of something bigger than just their sole company. What does it take to convince smaller fabricators, particularly ones who have felt left behind by Congress, that the investment in membership now will make a difference for them? I think what we've been able to prove with our early successes as a, a young organization is creating a level of comfort for potential members. And I think as we continue to get our message out of what has been accomplished and what we see that needs to be accomplished in the future, I think regardless of size, I think a lot of different fabricators, um, PCB, PCBA, will want to take part in it. And they have the opportunity to look once again at the different membership levels and say, you know what, this may make sense for me. I'm part of something bigger than just my organization and I want to join it. And then you may have some other fabricators that want to have a real voice at the table and you know help set the direction of the PCBAA and a different tier may be right for them. So hopefully, you know, the way we've thought about it is hopefully going to help generate more members as we continue to get this message out. Now, we've talked a lot about bareboard fabricators, but where does the assembly industry fit into all this? Yeah, so, you know, that's why I tried to mention it's not just PCB, but PCBA. I mean, obviously, that's a core, uh, you know, no different than the semiconductor discussion. It's a large ecosystem. So we are being inclusive of everyone. 
that's why if you look at our membership base, it, it's it, it's very interesting. You know, we have yarn suppliers that go into materials. Obviously, Izola is a material supplier. We have copper suppliers. We have chemical suppliers. So we're covering the gambit as it relates to different, uh, I'll say, constituents within the PCB and PCBA, P, PCBA industry, which is very helpful. So it's very, it's very inclusive. And it's not just strictly PCB and it's not just strictly PCBA. It's people and companies that have direct input into the overall microelectronics industry. Finally, what does a unified consensus strategy for the U.S. industry look like? Or is that just, is that too early to really describe that? Yeah, I think that's pretty abstract. I mean, what we want to see is it's a global economy and that's not lost on anyone. So ultimately, it's not going to be 100% onshoring in the United States. That, that doesn't make sense. And we all recognize that. What we're trying to do is ensure that we have a resilient supply chain within the domestic industry. And what are those critical applications that need to be addressed? And how can we ensure that we're assuring up the supply chain to make sure that if there is, a, heaven forbid, another pandemic down the road or you know even this current one with different variants, that we don't find ourselves scrambling to make ventilators for the population? That's what we need to do. And that's what success looks like. You know, ultimately, we do live in a global economy and that's not going to change. But we can still at the same time, it's not it's not a mutually exclusive conversation. You can still work and participate in a global economy as well as creating a very robust supply chain domestically. Travis, before we wrap, is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with? So, Mike, I've enjoyed the time. I really feel passionate about this organization. I think people that do understand the the microelectronics industry see a lot of the different gaps and issues that need to be corrected. So I think now is a really good time to have an organization like this out in front leading the charge as it relates to, once again, the three pillars of what we stand for, which is the education advocation and legislation. I think this is a really good time for the PCBAA to get its word out, to get its message out, continue to grow our membership base. And we appreciate, you know, uh, you taking time to help us spread that message. My pleasure. Our guest today has been Travis Kelly, President and Chief Executive of Isola and the Chairman of the Printed Circuit Board Association of America. For PCB Chat, this is Mike Buto. Have a nice day. (laughs) 